Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, this is Charles Wesley Godwin, and you are in the gun. In the gun, episode 143, and this is going to roll off the tongue nicely. ITG 143, in just a minute, we're going to talk to CWG. Yes, this is the Charles Wesley Godwin episode of In the Gun. We've teased this one. We've looked forward to this one. We figured we'd do a brief little scene setter here, just a couple minutes. I am Wesley Euler. This is In the Gun, your new favorite WVU football podcast. I got the best teammates in the business, the Signal College Jed Drenning and the runaway beer truck Owen Schmidt. And we're going to be joined by Charles Wesley Godwin. So what I'm going to do here now is because we don't know where this thing is going to go. I don't want to have to interrupt our conversation to do ad reads and stuff with our guy. So we're going to thank everybody right now off of the top. All right. Bet online where the game starts for presenting this episode of ITG. As always, a big thank you to our guy, JR and Toothman Ford. We all know cars cost less in Grafton and Toothman does yeoman's work in the NIL department for WVU. So make sure you're supporting those who support our student athletes. Our guy, Rick Lewis and Fortis for 20 years, the best commercial roofing business in the country for roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. You got to visit Fortis.us.com and our newest friends of the show, Johnston Equipment, new location. Route 33, right outside of Weston. Jed, this is the big one, brother. I'm excited for this. I'm fired up. I kind of just want to insert a couple questions, but Big O, I'm looking forward to you two just telling war stories. Yeah, uh, you guys go. You it, guys go way back, Big O. I tell you I, what, I talked to some people from his past, Wes, and I understand why him and Owen get get, get along so well. I mean, he <laughs> no was a head knocker. He was a head knocker when he played. So yeah, he's from from Owen's from Owen's mold, right? Huh. No, Charles is a great dude, man. Like I said, when I got to meet him, it was uh, kind of a cool way. I was coming out of one thing. He was really uh, starting to do his thing at what he was doing. Uh, unfortunate events happened, and they they needed a guitarist, and I uh, I just filled in for a while. And our, you know, and there was an evol- there's going to be a lot of stuff. It's going to be good stuff. All good stuff. Yeah, some right. that save he remembers, some that I remember, some that we both don't remember, but we've heard about. Maybe some that he's heard about that I remember. Uh, it's a little, it's, it's, it's one of those kind of time. deals. That's kind of neat. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So we'll get into it all with uh, with Mr. Fourteen, the music side of things, his passion and his love for WVU athletics. We'll get into all that in just a minute with Charles Wesley Godwin. You are in the gun. Nobody supports the Blue and Gold Mountaineers like Toothman Ford. With over 20 NIL deals and counting, Toothman Ford continues to rally behind our student-athletes. And it's time we rally and support the dealer that supports the Mountaineers. Not only does Toothman Ford offer the best prices in the state on pre-owned, their never-over MSRP campaign on new Fords guaranteed to, to save you thousands. thousands. Drive with pride all season long, knowing you're supporting the dealer that fuels our Mountaineers. Toothman Ford, where cars cost less. In Grafton and at ToothmanFord.com. For more West Virginia Mountaineer football content, be sure to follow us on Twitter at In the Gun Podcast. For nearly 20 years, Fortis has been the nation's leader in providing guaranteed roof performance programs for commercial buildings. Fortis offers roof performance solutions that feature extensive initial and ongoing reconditioning for commercial buildings as an alternative to traditional replacement 
with long-term performance guarantees that are backed by global leader Lloyds of London. Fortis offers a comprehensive range of roof performance management programs that provide financial security, extend the life of our customers' roofs, and make a significant impact on ROI. Fortis is currently improving performance and increasing ROI for customers at more than 4,800 locations, with more than 140 million square feet protected, including many Fortune 500 companies that have turned to Fortis to save money, gain financial certainty, and extend the life of their existing roofs. Fortis has helped customers save more than $520 million in capital roof replacement costs for an average ROI of over 250%. To learn more, visit fortis.us.com. Fortis, roof performance and financial certainty guaranteed. If you work the land, you just got to be a jack-of-all-trades type. There's just too much to do. So if you got to be a welder or a farmer or a ditch digger, that's just who you are that day. Then tomorrow, you can be somebody else. Get your coyote at the new location of Johnston Equipment between Weston and Buckhannon. All right, back in the gun here. We've teased it. We've talked about it. It's now time. Joining us is a guy who doesn't need much of an introduction amongst Mountaineer Nation at this point, let's be honest, but we're going to give him one anyways. One of country music's fastest rising stars, Morgantown native, WVU guy. You know him maybe as Mr. 14 from some of the hype videos and, of course, the now infamous hype speech that inspired a, uh, a great turnaround season for our Mountaineers one of the hottest artists in the game. He was just on the Joe Rogan podcast, biggest podcast in the world, so we figured he had to follow that up with In the Gun, obviously. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Charles Wesley Godwin. All right. Hey, what's up, boys? So, Charles, we, we want some, you know, we're going to talk a little music with you, a little Mountaineers with you, some war stories and memories between you and Owen. Uh, but just to get us started here, I got to know, I know you're a West Virginia guy. You're from Morgantown, right? And... A lot of times when you're when you're raised like that, the old golden blue, it's just in your blood. Um, but I know at the same time, too, like you can probably pinpoint maybe a moment in time or a period in time where your Mountaineer passion began. Right. So so give us your your WVU fan origin story, if you will. Yeah, we uh, you know, my parents had season tickets when we were growing up and um, I remember watching Mark Bolger and Amos Zeraway, you know, and, and playing like, like tag and tackle football out in the tailgates where, you know, before, you know, like the first iteration of Ruby had these big grass patches and some like sections of the parking lot. And, and me and a bunch of neighborhood kids and all uh, would be playing football there i think the hayden's it was the hayden's uh hayden's uh, tailgate that we'd go to and so yeah it's i was a mountaineer fan really ever since i can remember um and i went to every single home game from the time i was in through from elementary school basically all the way through college and then it wasn't until i started playing music that I started missing a lot of games <laughs> and uh, you know, I can count on one hand how many games I've been to in the last 10 years now. That's not by choice. It's just because uh, I had to work so much, sure. but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've been a diehard and you know, my Mountaineer fandom is uh, it's, it's almost toxic to, <laughs> to a certain extent because the losses affect my life. 
which I, you know, you know, it's good and bad when, when it's up, it's up. And when it's down, man, it affects my week to week and my day to day, which kind of sucks, but you know, (laughs) it's just, it's in the blood at this point and that's what it is right there with you, man. What we'll, we'll, we'll get into some things here. Kind of, uh, I guess some of our connection, uh, connection kind of what uh you know held the insp- inspiration that i had uh getting the chance and and uh, the privilege to kind of jam with you guys on stage for a sh- brief moment in time but when can you pinpoint uh well let, let's start from the beginning who what what were you evolving as a musician in high school i didn't play music at all in high school I didn't sing and I hadn't picked up a guitar yet. So I was a wannabe football player, but I didn't have, you know, I just was not gifted. I was slow. I was undersized and it just wasn't going to happen. But, you know, the the way I've always been wired is when I want something, I go for it and I don't quit. So I kind of hung on to that, uh, you know, probably longer than I should. And then I picked up the guitar in college once I'd given up, you know, the, there was no way that I was ever going to be able to play football after high school. Um, I picked up the guitar because I had all that free time because, you know, there was no trying to train for it, no lifting for it. There, there wasn't any of that stuff going on every evening like that used to be. So I picked up the guitar as just a, something to start filling time in a productive way when I was in college. And then I, I, you know, I was so fortunate to find that, that once I started singing, then I realized I, I was gifted in that way. Where, you know, when when folks have, and this is probably the way it was with you when you played high school ball, Owen, when somebody's gifted, when you're going up through middle school and high school, they glide compared to the other kids. They just make it look easy. They have talent. And then it's not until they get up to D1 and the pros and stuff like that where they're amongst their equals that, you know, things change. So I never had that on the basketball court or the football field or the track, nothing. But with singing, I glided. I had a natural voice that was better than most people would ever have. They practiced and took voice lessons their entire life. And so I was able to to leverage that, teach myself how to write, and then get good enough on the guitar to be able to to compose songs that would connect with people. And you know it took it took you know almost a decade for that to happen. but but I was fortunate enough to find that thing in my life that I actually had some natural talent for. You know, you talk about connection and uh, how important it is that, you know, when you're develop when you're in that writing process, developing a song, like, is that something that you feel after the song or is that like, you're like living inside that emotion, you know, while you're writing that piece? I'm, I'm living in it while I'm writing it. And, and when I'm writing a song, I'm writing it for me. It like, I'm making myself happy. I'm connecting with myself. I'm I'm working through something or feeling some sort of emotion that is making me feel better when I'm writing. And then it's after the fact that people just so happen to enjoy it. But if I think if I went into writing a song like with the intention of trying to get, hoping that people would enjoy it, I don't know. It, it I'd probably hit like a, a block and just never be able to get through it. But as long as I'm as I'm writing for myself from a therapeutic standpoint or just from a, like a craftsmanship kind of state of mind, then 
then it's just worked out to where, you know, people do connect with them. And it took time. My songs at the beginning, which you, you, you've heard a lot of them, you know, at the songwriters nights that used to be at the saloon. Absolutely. And then even with, with union sound treaty, you know, a lot of my beginning songs, you know, they weren't very good, but it takes, you know, it takes that in order to get to the, the good stuff. And, think, and even now I'm getting better. Like, you know, I'll look back on some of the songs I've released probably in these first three albums and be like, Oh, that wasn't so good. You know, then if, if I can do that, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I almost feel like just from a guy sitting uh, to your left, normally um, there, there was the craftsmanship was there. I just think you needed some some other pieces too, because you were hearing. I just felt like, man, Charles is wanting a lot of sound, man. So it was like, I felt like you really needed all those pieces to really start bringing what you had going on to life. It just seems like once you kind of got, you know, all those kind of key instruments, the music you know really just it almost seems like it's so easy now to you like you finally you like reached your sound mm -hmm. yeah i felt like with seneca that that i was able to figure out you know a sound that sounded exactly like like me and where i'm from so it wasn't me trying to mimic a a rodeo country texas singer or like a tennessee or georgia country singer it was me sounding like i'm from north central west virginia you know with both sides of my family in the mountains like it you know i feel like i found a sound that is it's a perfect hybrid of the area i'm from and and the the way that i talk which you know it's not exactly the most southern thing either but it you know but it's also not like i'm from new england it's kind of this in between you know what i mean so i was able to to find a sound that 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 portrayed my music in an honest way and, and what I'd kind of always hoped it, it, it could sound like. Real, well, real it, quick, oh, Bigo, yep. just, just to piggyback off of this, Charles, I got it. So, so you didn't pick up a guitar till you were in college, right? Was, mm -hmm. ha, to, you know, you're talking about filling that time that you had previously spent practice, workouts, gym, all that stuff. How long did it take before you had that thought of, Hey, you know what? Maybe I could do this for a living. Maybe I could make a career out of this. And and with that as well too, when you first went to WVU, I gotta know before music, like what was the major? When you went to college before you picked up the guitar, what did you think you were going to school for and that you wanted to do the rest of your life? Well, it's it's hard to know what you want to do academically in your life when you're 18. No doubt. I think That's a lot better. of if I could, you know, MHS keeps I, I think MHS wants me to go and speak to the student body. Um I I guess whenever I can. And um, I don't know if they're going to like what I'm going to tell those kids. Because, <laughs> because and when you spoke to us when I was, I think, a senior, a junior or senior, you came in and spoke to us. Um, but uh, yeah, it, you know, they, they really push on you, like, you know, go to college, go to college, go to college as you're, as you're coming up through middle school and high school, your guidance counselor is trying to, you, you got to meet with them once every semester to try to figure out like, what are you leaning towards towards a major? And, you know, the bottom line is you just don't, a lot of kids don't know when they're 18. So I went into school for finance 
because I had no idea what I was passionate about. It's a good choice, go though, back, right? Something in business, something in finance, yeah, a lot and, of jobs. Yeah. And that uh, that degree, it's it's right up there. I graduated cum laude. I have a finance degree, but I'll never use it. And if I had a, you know, I would have gotten a history degree um, to be able to teach. And then I would have gotten an engineering degree, too, just because I enjoy it. And I, I could take all those classes now and 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 not dread a bit of it. You know, but that's the difference between being an adult sure, and sure. learning about yourself, knowing yourself. And then when you're 18, it, it just feels like a continuation of, of K through 12 when <laughs> in reality, a university going to a university is a huge experience if you make the most of it and put, put all of yourself into it. But they just don't, they don't work it out that way. And, you know, the promise scholarships only available only available to you if when you're coming out of high school so it's not like you can right you can put that in your pocket wait a few years to figure out what you want to do and pull that free card up and and go to school for free so yeah it's you know it's a little it's a little goofy so i think there's a lot of people out there getting degrees that maybe they're not passionate about and they have to go back later in life and get the thing learn about the thing that they really want to learn about um but when I figured out that, you know, singing, you know, uh, playing music was my thing. And this is before I'd even started writing songs. It was after my first gig, I made 150 euros in my first gig for playing 20 minutes. And, you know, I used to have to mow two or three lawns to make, to make that much money. And, and 2013, gig? yeah. Yeah. And okay. in 2013, the Euro was higher than the dollar. So that was, I think a dollar and 10 cents per euro was at the time I was over there. So, I mean, that was good money. I thought that was, I thought that was amazing. money. <laughs> so yeah. once, once I played that first gig, I was like, I'm doing this when I go back. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, when I, when I went back, I formed a band with a couple of my buddies that I grew up with and we started playing around Morgantown. We'd play at chicken bones and we played Schmidt's at Terra cafe. Um, at uh, the Blue Moose Cafe, yep. and you know we just we had a ball. We had a That's good awesome. time. On the football I, side of it, okay. You've talked about this before, okay? Yeah. When you talk to guys from your past, for instance, Blaine Stewart, I think Blaine was a freshman when you were a senior at MHS when you guys were Mohicans. He talked about the speech that you gave on the field before the playoff game against Martinsburg. He texted me and said it was all caps elite. He said, you were the guy that fired everybody up between the lines, outside the lines. So you walk on at West Virginia, not once, not once, but twice. I've never heard the specifics of this. First of all, I believe you were an outside backer. If you want to call it walk-on, tryout, whatever you want to call it, that's what I want to know. Give us the details in terms of one was with Stu, later on again with Dana, but it didn't yeah. really escalate to the point that you consider it that. You're, you're almost uncomfortable talking about it, I've noticed. I want well, you to give us the details. Yeah, I think this is the I think this is because a, a PR agent that I had years ago like described it as me walking on and I tried to walk on three times and got cut each time. So I never I never made the team. Once it was with Bill Stew and then twice with Dana. Um I remember I went into Coach Castile's office. I see the the first time that I tried out, I legitimately felt like if I could have put pads on, I would have been an asset on the practice squad and in three or four years down the line, I could have made a tackle on kickoffs big and runs and stuff like that. How big were you? But it but I was 195 pounds. Okay. Um but 
you know, I no, never, never got the chance. But anyways, I, I remember that, especially it was after the, the first time I went into Coach Castile's office and begged him. I said, just, just because I was already going to school for free. I had the primer scholarship. Like I didn't need anything from them. Just, just let me put pads on and practice. Like, oh, I can help. And, you know, that it, it, they only have so many spots and, and there are people that, that look well, better than me. What was the trial? You yeah. were an outside backer? What was mm -hmm. the trial like? What did, what did Man, they put you through? It, it's just like the combine stuff. And we were in shorts and a t-shirt, which, you know, didn't play to my strength. It is, there was no, I wanted to there hit was no, somebody. Yeah. There's yeah, no playing. Physical. There was, there's no actually playing football. They're looking at who, who looks good. Who's got some athleticism. Yeah. And, and I just Imagine didn't have that. I didn't have that. And, you know, at the time it was the Jason Isbell says in a song, it's, it's a, uh, it's a boy's last dream and a man's first loss, like about somebody's football career ending. And, you know, at the time it, it felt like it, it, it felt like the death of this dream, you know, I, and I, it's kind of funny, like, even if it all worked out, it all would have been over when I was 22. And like, <laughs> I still had all this, he still had fucking 60 years left to go. A couple years later with the guitar, I guess. I know. And I didn't give a shit about anything else that was after that. But at the time, <laughs> at, you know, at the time it felt like, fuck, dude, like life's over. But it ended up being a blessing because it led me into the thing that I actually was good at yeah. and was meant to do. And, you know, just, already like what's happened in music you know i could if it all ended tomorrow it'd just be an unbelievable um accomplishment so but yeah that's that's the truth of it i never made the team i just tried out for it for three years and then after I my to junior give you a chance year, to talk about it because i noticed that every time somebody talks about you walking on you're like uncomfortable like that's not exactly what happened but or, you don't have a chance yeah, to talk about it as much yeah yeah, I never – that's the thing. Like People say, oh, he walked on at WVU, and, and I, I always want to make that very clear. No, I never made it. I tried to. So Because walking on makes it sound like I made the team. I was never – I never made the team and uh, was never – was never good enough uh, to so – We have to Jeff make Castillo to thank for, thank for uh, minor imperfections, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, okay, be, that's one way to look at knows, it. Who knows what I'd be doing. We'd yeah. still be we'd still be waiting for another four years for Q Country Roads if Jeff Castile had, had told <laughs> you right. no. Right? That's right. I so, I probably never would have picked up a guitar if if I would have made that team. To be honest with you. So so Charles, you know, we hear about this the legendary speech when when you were in high school before playing Martinsburg. Everyone has seen, of course, the preseason hype speech that you gave to the Mountaineers. Hell, guys, I think we did an entire episode. Uh, in the in the summer leading up to the season yeah. on that speech. Uh, so I got to know, I got to put you on the spot here a little bit. Rehearsed in your mind at all, or was that just all improv, all emotion, all off the cuff? No, nah, uh, Blaine had asked if I wanted to come by practice, and I was leaving for tour the next day. So I'd never been to a, to a Mountaineer practice before. Um, so, I, you know, I said, sure. And I was actually taking PR pictures with David McClister around town that day for, for family ties. So David came along with me and I was, uh, I was standing next to, to Tony and Tony was kind of like 
pointing out because now like you got like 30 new guys every year on the team just because with the way the transfer portal has been the last few years this year it went really well we're gonna like it's not gonna be like that next season but anyways um so like tony's like telling me about all these folks and then neil brown comes up and that's the first time neil and i had gotten to meet face to face and he said hey man do you want to talk to the guys we take like a mid-practice break um at noon if you want to talk to them, they'll be pumped up that you're here. And I was like, sure, <laughs> I guess. And so then after that, I was like, wow, shit, what do I say to these kids? You know, I'm just like this singer. And these guys are all like these D1 football players. Like what the hell, Where do, where's the connection or what can I, what kind of uh, experience can I, can I share with them that might help them? So then I, I, I remember back in July, I think it was probably just on Twitter. Like they, I saw where Neil Brown had been asked about that poll at Big 12 Media Day. And he said he was on vacation. Yeah, he said he was on vacation when, when he saw it and he said it ruined his vacation. And I didn't know if they'd been bringing that up at practice or not. And I, I just kind of assumed maybe they weren't talking about it. And I knew from my experience that I'd be talking about it. You know, I would, you know, not publicly, but, you know, with me and my band, we'd be pulling that shit up. And when that stuff happens, <laughs> when that stuff happens to us, and, and like I said, in the, you know, the one example in the speech, but it happens, it happens all the time. Even now this stuff happens and it's going to happen this year to us. Like, you know, we use that, you know, we take, we take those things that are, you know, we take those bullets, those arrows and turn them around and use them as our own ammunition to get, to get to where we want to go. So that was something that I could share with those kids that maybe they haven't figured out yet in life is, that, you know, when stuff like that happens to you, you can, you can respond to it in two ways. You can either be like, Oh man, they picked us last. Like, man, we must suck this year or be like, all right, motherfucker, I'm going to show you guys. <laughs> what i what i'm made of you know what i mean there's there's two ways there yep. and if you take if you take the other way where it's like all right i'm gonna prove you wrong because you, you don't know what you're talking about if you do that you're gonna you're gonna get along better in life than than if you always just take it as a hit and no and and get down on yourself over things like that it's so again it, you were a prophet you were a prophet now it has to be now like when you're disrespected now i heard you tell the 230 story about Kentucky at the fair, which was awesome. That was so spot on. You guys have your own little mantra of 2.30, 2.30 from being, uh, you know, scheduled at, at the early show. But if you're disrespected now, you're getting to the point, it's almost like Kirby Smart trying to tell Georgia they're disrespected, right? I mean, come on, is it real, is it real disrespect? I mean, come on, Nat, they do it now. Oh, man, you know? we we get it. And we still we still get it. it it's not... Oh, it, it's not as, as, it's not as prevalent as it was, but you know, sometimes we'll step into a place and there'll be some union production people from some city somewhere that just, you know, forgot their manners. And, you know, we, we still use everything, you know, we use everything. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, you, you are know. Kirby smart. Good job. Yeah. I think, yeah. Sometimes I think there's people, cause you know, I'm not like, I do very well in music, but you know, there's still people that don't know who I am or, or, or anything like that. So, you know, there's people that are like, Oh, fuck these guys. We'll never see them again. And, you know, they'll treat us a certain way 
and a lot of times these aren't the artists anymore it's just it's just folks on the the back end of production and stuff and uh you know they'll treat us a certain way and 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 me and the guys you know before we step on that stage we're like these boys are going to see us again someday and they're going to be fucking working for us and <laughs> then we go out, we go out there and and you know so we use those things love it oh man bring bringing the uh the street fights out the knucks i know you were jacked up <laughs> to give that speech dude i, I mean yeah i just uh, you know he I, this guy's got picked last yeah like i mean that's not that's not mountaineer football um so they uh and they they proved they proved exactly you know they proved it wrong they proved why i think we're the 15th winningest program in in college football history and they 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 proved that because even even on years where you know we don't look good on paper or something like that you know west virginia just finds a way to win games and we always have yeah charles i want to uh Man, we got so much cool stuff we can kind of go to talk about, but I uh, want to talk about how you started with the gigging early on in your career, and then just now what kind of, you know, luxuries you might have now <laughs> upon the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, Schmidt's well, Schmidt Saloon have the same uh, amenities as the Ryman, I'm guessing, right? <laughs> Red Rock. <laughs> You know, Smith's Hey, we were banging team, back man. in the day, dog. Dude, uh, you know, Owen had Chris Stapleton, Luke Combs, Coulter Wall, myself. Um, you've had tons of people have had country radio number ones go through there. Um Schmidt Saloon had good talent. Luke Combs and I played a show in January of twenty sixteen at, at Owen's place for three hundred people. And, That's awesome. You know. Wow. I bet there's a lot more than 300 people around West Virginia that would go to that show now. Yeah, no, yeah. the ghost wings, right? Yeah, yeah, Owen, absolutely. Owen got some amazing talent through there, but uh, yeah. So I started out, um, you know, with my college band that you know we we played bar gigs and stuff through college, and then my two bandmates both went to law school at the end of college, so. And they didn't want to keep playing music. So I uh, I had already decided it was what I was going to do for a living. So I started playing in like restaurants and things like that to just make some money to keep going. And then put together a band with a few guys in town here called Union Sound Treaty. And that started in July of 2015. And then, you know, we... I'd, I'd booked us and would just go anywhere that we could. We'd do a lot of the four-hour bar gigs and stuff. Schmitz was a consistent gig for us. And a lot of that in those years was just going to, like, you know, bar two or three hours away or in town or whatever, and then driving home the night of. Um, and But amongst that, though, still to make ends meet, because all I was doing was playing music, then I would play by myself as well. And, you know, by myself, I had no albums out. Um, you know, nobody had know, knew me, so nobody would go see me. So I could only play restaurants and cafes and bars. I couldn't play venues because Schmitz, a place like Schmitz had tickets. So, like, they'd go see established artists and Union Sound Treaty you know, it was a, was a local band. So people would come see us 
or we'd open for somebody, but I couldn't do that by myself because literally nobody knew who I was. Um, so on those days, you know, I would, uh, might drive to DC and play, you know, Trish cafe or drive down to Johnson city, Tennessee and play the acoustic cafe or, or go up to Columbiana, Ohio and play a brewery or, or go over to Dayton and play a brewery. And, you know, those days I just had this old gold Toyota Highlander and I'd uh, bring a little sleeping mat with me and my speakers and my guitars and had the back seats down. And then, you know, after the gig, I'd maybe try to drive as far as I could towards the next place for the next day or, or if I was headed home and, you know, then I'd pull off to a rest stop or a, uh, a pilot or a love station and crawl in the back there and go to sleep. And I did that for, for years. Um, and Union Sound Treaty, we went until I think 2000, mid 2018, we had a member drop out in the summer of 17 and then Owen stepped in as our lead guitarist. And, yeah. you know, we kept, you know, we kept playing gigs and, and stuff. And, um, what happened with that was it, it got to a point where like, sometimes I would book a run of shows and two or three, and we're a four piece band. And sometimes like two or three guys that have like work or things and like not everybody didn't yeah. come in and like it, it might be like me and my drummer like out in Colorado or something and you know by that point I was in my mid-20s I I wanted to get married and start a family and I was like I you know this I'm not gonna be able to do this um so I've been writing all these years and I had this collection of songs that I felt like went really well together and so in 2018 or at the end of 2017 and end of 2018 I started recording them up in New Brighton Pennsylvania with you know my lead guitarist and producer now Al Torrance getting the pieces together for what became Seneca and so I just kept going and playing restaurants and bars and, and cafes and anything I could and I was able to get enough money together and max out my credit card and everything to where I was able to release Seneca. And it came out in February of 2019. And that's really the before and after. And that, that changed my life. Once that album came out and I released it under my own name, uh, I could go anywhere in the country. And it was crazy. It was from one day to the next. I could go anywhere in the country and people would buy tickets to come see me play. Now, it may not be a lot, but I could go anywhere and somebody would come out to, to see me. Mm. So that when when you can do that, that draws the attention of booking agents and managers. And it was, you know, four or five weeks later that I got, you know, booking, which completely changes the game because they'll negotiate on your behalf and they'll get you into real venues and opening for people to, to build an audience. And that's, that's what happened. Um, True Grit uh, picked me up out of Austin, Texas, and, you know, started forming a real schedule of shows for me. They, you know, negotiated much better for me than, than I would, you know, I used to, I'd be like 50 bucks and, you know, a burrito. Hell yeah. Like I'm in, like whatever. <laughs> you know, they, they actually would, they would actually negotiate whatever I was worth, you know? And, and, uh, so then I just kept on grinding from there and worked the, the rest of 2019 
building an audience, getting my feet under me. And then things were looking amazing going into 2020. I built up a lot of momentum. I had over a hundred people that would come out and see me anywhere I went here in the U S and had a six week European tour in the winter of 2020. So from January and February in 2020, I went over to Europe and played uh, 27 shows to just packed out rooms. I sold out half of those shows and then came back and had like all kinds of things on the schedule for that year, like open up for Ward Davis and Wade Bowen and William Clark Green and Cody Jenks and stuff. And then COVID happened and it just cut all that out. And uh, so while COVID was happening, I had a newborn at home. So I was enjoying that time. But on the other end, I was stressed out about what had just happened in my work life. And uh, I took that time to write my second album. We recorded it in the summertime. And that way, when we were able to get back to work in the spring of 21, you know, I had had some ammunition in the belt ready to go to, to, to maximize it. And, and we were able to do that, you know, once April 21 rolled around, I went back out on tour opening for Ward Davis solo. And then in the summertime, I started touring full band and I brought a seven piece band out with me and we'd play, you know, venue, small venues all across the country. And we'd open for people and tried to, uh, try to just build a following as fast as possible because of, you know, the finances of it. I wasn't making enough money to pay all those guys, but I knew, I knew the live show was extra special with, with that huge sound up on stage and the chemistry that we had all had from recording together with Seneca and how the mighty fall. And once that second album came out in the fall of 21, then, you know, it really became, a uh as they they call in the business world a going concern it was you know you, you it, it was stamped it was going to happen and you know i'm going to get to do this the rest of my life stick to the writing part for a minute you know we, we want to get to the rogan stuff we, we have questions about the joe rogan stuff right but <laughs> but you were talking about the writing part the writing process of course there was a time in cultural history that the centerpiece of all society was poetry written by very talented poets right well, a lot of people feel the the modern equivalent to that is lyrical music. And obviously, when I hear a song like Minor Imperfections, I told you earlier, I, I hear my my dad being described in that song. It's so deep. And I heard you, I'm trying to remember where I heard you. I don't know if it was Tony's podcast or with Rogan, but I heard you talking about one of your thought processes when coming up with a lyric. And this was one of the most prolific thoughts I'd ever heard. You said that when you're coming out of a breakup, and you consider the condition that you're in, you're in this very hurtful place, but you almost don't want to move forward because it will you'll be further removed from that relationship that you so loved. So mm -hmm. healing is something you don't even want to do. I'm like, that is deep, man. I mean, that, that's where these lyrics are coming from. Walk us through your process, some of which, as you told yeah. us earlier, takes place in that very room that you're sitting in, the writing process. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's the whole, that's the art of, of songwriting is to, and you, you figure this out, look, analyzing yourself is, you know, as a writer, you know, I'm human. So if, if something touches me or if I'm able to describe an emotion in a, in a moving way, then that'll connect with other people as well. And, you know, other folks don't have 
you know, it's not their job to try to figure these things out, but they enjoy it if somebody does and put, put some music to it and, and it gives them goosebumps or something. So like what you're talking about there, like I wrote a song, uh, I wrote a song called Lonely Mountain Town back in the fall. And it's, it's about like a guy whose woman's left him for whatever reason. And he says, you know, basically the the lyric is time healed wounds are the kind i fear i want to stay right when you stood right here so so what he's what he's saying is that you know i don't want i don't want this i don't want to i don't want the the feeling of this thing ending to go away over time because that means i'm further away from where i am right now or at least right now it's right after the relationship so i'm still close to it you know what I mean? So it's somebody that's wanting to linger in that pain for for their, you know, as long as they can. Cool. That's deep. That's deep. Yeah. So like it it that I guess that's that's the whole art of it is you can describe something that everybody feels, but maybe they haven't they haven't put the words to the feeling. That's that's kind of what what songwriting is. You know. Who were uh, so so obviously, and I know you've talked about this before too, but like some of your favorite songwriters growing up. I think the best songwriter ever is uh, Bruce Springsteen. I know yes. some folks. I think some folks would take, um, you know, they're obviously that's very subjective, but I think Springsteen is the best of the best. And there's a uh, there's an album here. I got it. Oh, uh, let's go. Let's go into the personal collection, baby. I love it. The magic happens right there in that room, guys. Oh, it's Nebraska. It's Nebraska, isn't it? Yeah. See this here? I mean, this thing is an absolute work of art. Oh. I mean, it's it gets right into the like the dark edges of humanity in a way that I like. It's just very inspiring. So, um, yeah, Bruce Springsteen's a big, big inspiration of mine. Um Willie Nelson is the Avett brothers are the whole reason I picked up a guitar. That's why I decided to, to pick it up as a hobby. I watched them at, at the Grammys in 2011 and, and thought, you know, that'd be something cool to do in my free time. Maybe I should try to learn the guitar. That'd be something productive. So, you know, those, those three are big, big influences of mine. Chris Knight who played at the saloon, you know, on the regular um, is a big, writing inspiration of mine chris has a has a gift for using such simple language to write just such a but he puts them in such amazing combinations that, that that it's just incredible writing you know chris is really the the pen of rural america in my opinion but um yeah those are a few of my influences love it love it charles do you uh do you spend much time down in, uh, I'd say Nashville connection, kind of doing your thing down there? Or are you more, I mean, you told me here recently, you're, you're going on a big tour here. You got a little bit of time, but then you're going on a tour, what you got coming up. Um, yeah, I spent, I spent a good bit of time in Nashville this past year and a half. Uh, just, so we're shooting three or four music videos, uh, like in mid February. That's where I got to go down and that's where we do the shoots. So it's just, 
it's kind of the center of business. But um, Pittsburgh's got that direct southwest flight early in the morning that I'll take. So I can I, if if I got a day or two of work, I I hop on that flight and I'm down there by seven fifteen a.m. <laughs> Hell yeah! And, uh, so, hey, that's a long ass drive, dude. Otherwise, it, I mean, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't prefer to take the drive if, <laughs> if I can avoid it. I hop on a plane. Do you but, uh, do you ever run into old uh, Robbie Snyder down there? I haven't run into Rob yet. He uh, he would always hook me up to play the Ten Roof Revival though on Tuesday nights when I was down there years ago, but he was always working. Like when I, when the, yeah. I think I did it three times, he was working when I did it, but I, I bet you anything I'll, I'll get to, uh, to meet up with him this summer since I'll be opening for Luke, you know, so oh, you know, absolutely. I, I, I bet Rob will make it to one of those shows and I'm on all of them here in the U S so nice. um, hopefully I can, I can meet up with him because dude, Rob's been so good to me, Owen, like, he was nice, nice to me and like would help me out when he had nothing to gain from it, which, you know, that, that says everything about a person. Dude, he's a great dude, man. Uh, yeah. You know me, man. Always good to link uh, good people up with good people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. He's a good guy. All right. Well, I know Jed's, Jed's been dying to ask, so let's do it. What was it? What was it like? Listen. I mean, I know ITG, Joe Rogan. I mean, the platforms are pretty similar, right? But uh... <laughs> was ready for ITG, right? By Dorn Rogan. So we got to know how the invite come out. What's well, yeah. the studio? Let's get the behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, he got That's his. He got his practice. He got his yeah. practice round in, right, Jed? Before he That's came right. out here to yeah. play the full eighteen. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if. If we were all in person, just around a table, that's that's basically what Rogan would be like as well. Like it's very informal. Um, Joe was put onto my music by one of his uh, one of his best friends, another comedian. So he reached out in October and asked if I'd come on the podcast, and you know I said hell yeah. And January 9th ended up being the 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 date, and um, yeah, you just uh, you show up and. You know, there's some security and stuff there that that lets you in, and it's like this very indiscreet place from the outside, but then on the inside, you know, it's got like everything that he needs for his day to day, and um, you know, he rolls in, he's like, "What's up, man? You ready to go?" And then grab some coffee, and we went right into the studio and started talking. Nice. So that way, you know, we wouldn't talk about things that that might be interesting on the podcast beforehand. And, uh, yeah, he was super nice, super accommodating, and then invited us out to the comedy club that night. And we went out and saw an incredible show. We, it was uh, it was Brian Simpson, Ron White, Theo Vaughn, Shane Gillis, and Joe Damn. all in one night. That's some A-listers, <laughs> yeah, man. It, it, was a good, it was a good show. And uh, it was – Is there a break? It was a, What's are that? you straight through when you tape with him? Is it straight through with no cuts, or is there a break in the middle, or how do you do that? Nah, he and ours was straight through. You know, we didn't we didn't take a leak or anything, but I think you know, so you almost if, need if a somebody, hydration coach to to get ready for that <laughs> show. <laughs> yeah, if somebody if somebody does have to use the restroom, I think they just do do like a hard pause and then just bring it back once once they're back from the bathroom. But uh, yeah, it was it was an awesome experience, man, and and he was super nice and. He's exactly himself on the air 
because that's exactly how he is off the air too. So it's not like there's no act there. That that's how he was in the green room at the comedy club that night too. Just same the same interests and like the the passion for for like the the things that he's into in life. Like that it's there's no there's no acting there. That's just how he is, and it's, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. I uh, I I honestly, man, it's been it's been so awesome to see the success. What's it been like with the home life during all this kind of craziness? A little bit, of, you know. What I mean, you're there's a, there's a question. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I really want to know, dude, because I I mean, you're a great man. Uh, you got a great wife, and yeah. uh, you know, you know that's got to be your rock. Obviously, how how what's the what's the family life like? Man, I it I was gone hundreds of days in twenty one and twenty two. Um twenty last year was a little bit better, but I was still gone a ton. And then this year is gonna be considerably better. I'm home a ton uh from now until April you know, from all winter till April, and I'll be home a bunch from September through the end of the year. I'll just be gone a lot this summer from April to August. Um so yeah, it was really hard. Um, I missed, you know, I've been gone pretty close to probably half the days of Abigail's life. Um, and then a good portion of Gabriel's too. I had all of 2020 with Gabriel, so that was special, but yeah, I've, I've been gone a lot and missed a lot. And it's just a, uh, it's a balancing act. I got a, a 24 hour rule. So if I could ever, if I'm able to spend 24 hours here at the house with the family, no matter where I'm at in the country between shows, I'll make the flight. And if, awesome. if it, if it ends up being where, you know, it's going to be less than that, then I won't and just wait until I have a point in time where I can. But if I can get one day and I'm in C and we're on the West coast in Seattle or wherever, I'm making the flight back and it doesn't matter. Um, don't care how much it costs or whatever. It's just a rule I have because throughout the year, then that adds up, you know, maybe I get 14 extra days that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So that's the, that's the best thing that I can do to, to uh, make it work in these years that I, you know, I have to be gone this much. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the goal is, though, to get to that point where, you know, I only have to go out to 30, maybe 30 to 50 times a year. And mm. and that's it. I, I enjoy my work, so I don't dream of not not having to go out. Like, I think I'd go crazy if, if I, you know, I don't, I don't have aspirations of like taking years off. But I, I do really want to get to that place where maybe I'm out 30 to 50 times a year and and home so much where like my kids friends are like what the hell does your dad do <laughs> like, yeah. does, he have a, does he have a job yeah yeah that would, that would be nice that would be nice and then you know i'll i'll get a bus uh at some point that's just for family and in the summer times you know i'll bring them i'll bring them with me and we'll be nice. together during a lot you know some big chunks of the summers while they're growing up so because i think the summers are yeah, always going to be busy Last one I got for you, Charles. I'm going to flip the script here. First, I want you to tell us in heading out who your favorite mountaineer of all time is. But I also want to know. I had that. January I had that 2nd. form. I had that form in the quick hitters to get out of here. But that's all right. Well, it's it's cool. Okay, it's cool. okay. 
January 2nd, 2008. Just go with this one then. We'll do the quick here later. January 2nd, 2008. That was probably, I'm guessing, your sophomore, junior in high school when Owen and Pat and that whole crew of Stu played in the desert in the Fiesta Bowl. Where were you? What do you remember about that night? What do you remember about Owen's speech, his impassioned speech? Everything about that. Let's put the fan hat on now. As the Mountaineer right. fan, we know you are. Walk us through it. I'll never forget it. I was just a few rows up on the 50-yard line. I was there, and uh, I was a sophomore in high school, and that is my favorite Mountaineer experience of all time. Coming from the low after that pit game to the high of upsetting that just absolutely stacked Oklahoma team out there with Bill Stew, who, you know, the the main the, – like the – Sports media had no idea who he was, and and like everybody was like, I, you know, they they wrote the, them off after that pit game, and that was the the best. I mean, it was the best fan experience of my life. I'll never, I don't know if I'll ever, even if we win a national championship, I don't know if it'll ever be as emotionally special as that night was. Um, my favorite Mountaineer of all time, just because he played like he he did the position that that I I wanted to be like him. Because I, I could have never run the ball like Owen or anything like that. I grew up across the street from Mark Megro. So, you know, I looked up to Mark Megro growing up. And Mark Megro was a part of those Sugar Bowl and Fiesta oh, yeah. Bowl teams. And, and so, you know, that was my favorite Mountaineer, um, you know, growing up. I always, I always liked the uh, Casey Vance and Reed Williams, like those West Virginia linebackers. Casey Vance gets a shout out. I'm gonna text him. Wow, <laughs> oh, dude, you know Kate, <laughs> Casey Vance is a great example of just developing, man. Like you know that that guy. I don't think there was any other Division One team in the country that would have ever looked at him, but he came to West Virginia and worked his way to make. He had like a hundred tackles for his junior and senior year each year. Um. There, then there was a, there was a, yeah, and there was a mate, there was the, uh, oh, Pat Laser was a beast too from up there. Yes. Oh, Laser, blast from the past, man. Pat, That's a, yeah, wow. Pat Laser, Pat Laser was a fucking beast. So yeah, he had the a, ceiling. He had the uh, he had the game ceiling interception in Pat White's last uh, bowl game did, against North Carolina. Yeah. That the hit, the hits that Pat Laser would lay on folks. So anyways. Yeah, I'm a sucker for just a good hard nose like West Virginia linebacker. But uh anyways, so those are some of my favorite Mountaineers. Obviously, Owen is is right up there, man, with just the the runs that he that he had and, and the passion that Owen had. And like Owen was the embodiment of what it is of the state and the blue collar nature of the state. Um and I know you're you're from Wisconsin, but I mean this this place took you in like like you're you're one of us. Um, absolutely so yeah that's that, those are some of my favorite experiences those are not fifth avenue mountaineer oh. fan answers I, you're a gritty mountaineer fan with those <laughs> answers <laughs> you drop right you drop, oh, a, yeah. you drop a casey vance and a pat laser baby <laughs> you drop, i mean I'm you're texting casey as you're, in the, you're, in, the, yeah, you're yeah. in the you're in the right place all right See, that want, gives a shout out to casey vance you gotta love it bring bring like the flogging molly back on third down like i want the i i want the irish music and i want the you know i i, I love that shit i want scores 14 to 3 like that that's what that's the kind of mountain football three yards in a cloud of dust baby yeah yeah 
but all right. So we we've yeah. kept you way too long, and we do really appreciate this. A couple more. So those were that's funny. I had d- favorite WVU sports memory and favorite WVU sports athlete as a couple quick hitters to get us out of here. Those are great answers. Couple more for you, okay? Is there a venue in the United States that you still haven't played? Do you have a dream venue, a bucket list venue to? Play? I mean, you've played Red yeah. Rocks, you've played right. Is there still one though that's at the top of your list? Yeah, Madison Square Garden is a big one. I, w- I want to play. I want to play it really bad. That's a that's a goal. Um, you know, the goals that I that I'm still chasing. I want to get salary for for everybody that's involved on my team. Um, and you know, I want it to be to a point where everybody that's involved in the organization li- lives a a very comfortable life. And then you know, I I want to win a Grammy. And not because of the trophy. I just think it would be special, um, as as a it, it, in the same way that Homer Hickam's Science Fair medal, National Science Fair medal, was. I think it would be another another example yeah. in that timeline of like you know it doesn't matter where you come from, you can be from West Virginia and do anything. So that's a goal. And then yeah, Madison Square Garden's a big one. Uh, my favorite live live concert movie ever is Springsteen's 1979 no nukes concert that he did there and I, I just think uh, the history of the venue with with how it's it's basically I, I think it's the oldest arena in the United States um you know Jack Dempsey was fighting there you know like back in like right after World War One or something so nice. like yeah yeah I would love I would love to play Madison Square Garden and then kind of a new one just they built that sphere out in vegas where you know the whole (laughs) the whole thing is a it can show video and i think that that's a great opportunity to be able to to formulate a special show someday where if you're to do enough video content that goes along with the music to mix in with the live feed of the show i think you know with with the light light show and everything it could be something like just absolutely epic for your fans so that it would be cool to do that uh someday but madison square garden is the big one you know it was the ryman red rocks and then madison square garden is the next the next like big one it's a great answer world's most famous arena uh crazy craziest person you've been on tour with <sighs> i i'm not gonna like blow anybody up or anything because it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's private business, you know what I mean? But there are still some folks out there like doing it, like partying the old way. Like just, <laughs> just like, like there, there are some folks out there that are doing it all. And, uh, you know, I've been on, I've, I've done some runs of shows with, with some of those types and it's, it's a hell of an experience. Cause like me and my guys, we're like, we're like taking like ibuprofen before we go. On. <laughs> and, and like, like, you know, we're trying to like, you know, we don't drink very much anymore or any like it, it's not we're we're very tame, very tame compared to, you know, stories that or you know, the perception maybe that people have. Sure. sure. But uh there are still some folks out there just going hundred and fifty miles an hour still and not getting any sleep and just <laughs> going till the wheels fall off and the wheels always fall off. I do always fall off without a doubt. Good answer. Good answer. All right. Couple more here. Uh, favorite place to have a beer in Morgantown. Oh, I'd say Gene's beer garden. That's, that's like my, 
that's my college bar. You know, that's where me and my buddies would go and and just drink. Yep. <laughs> it's a Jeans Beer Garden is a drinker's bar. It's a bar for conversation, and uh, it's got tons of history. So I, I, I love it. Spent a lot of time in mutts and a lot of time in jeans when I was in Morgantown, without a doubt. Uh, okay, yep. last last quick hitter I had for you. Favorite place to eat in Morgantown? Favorite place to eat in Morgantown? I'd say Stefano's. Um, yeah, it's a place that my wife and I enjoy. And every time we go, it's good. You know, it's it's great. And then uh, I got to give a shout out. Like where I order my pizza from is Colasante. So like uh, usually, Wayne told any, me. yeah, yeah. Any any time I get home from a run of shows, you know, I don't feel like cooking. My wife doesn't feel like cooking. She's she's been holding down the kids alone. You know, while I've been gone. So it's we awesome. always order. We order calls on yeah. days, like any day That's I fly, awesome. fly home. I love it. I love. It. Okay, this is this this might be put because I hate it when people ask me questions like this, but this just came into my mind. So, I, do you have a favorite song of all time? Favorite song of all time? It's a good. Like, question. I think it's. I think mine's "Thunder Road" by Bruce Springsteen. But if you ask me next week, I'd probably change my mind. Hey, well, I want to give him time to answer favorite lyric of all time. That would fascinate me. What his Man. favorite lyric would be? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe my favorite song of all time might be nothing on it might be nothing on me by Chris Knight because I listened to that when at some of my lowest points. Um and in those years before Seneca when you know I was just trying to keep going and you know nothing on me would uh get me through I think some some nights when I might have quit otherwise. I dig it. So if I had to pick one, that'd be it. Okay. Okay. Gentlemen, I mean, anything. Listen, we got them here right now. All right, speak now. I gotta ask Charles one more thing. Okay, Charles, there was a gig we played. Okay, and uh, we had to we had to get a place this day after the gig. There was this camper for like. Brist, it was in Bristol, Tennessee. Yeah. That ah, jank, ah. Janky, that janky festival outside the racetrack. Oh man, listen, we yeah. so we're playing this show. It's it's strange. <laughs> it's, it's it's really strange. Yeah. And we got a place. We got to find a place to stay after the the show. And I guess like there was a campsite there, and Charles kind of like. Right, I mean, no heat, no nothing. It was freezing that night. I ended up wrapping myself like a human burrito in a foam mattress <laughs> topper pad. Like, Dude. oh boy, it oh was good times. God. Yeah, we. I think uh, you know we 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 probably made five hundred bucks for that show, and you know it was it was you, me, Sean Wilhelm Ross. And Nathan Colombo, so that's not enough to get a hotel. <laughs> you yep. know what I mean? So, so mm. we took that that whatever that dude was up on that camper, <laughs> and it uh, that was in April of 2018, and you know, but it, it was like unseasonably cold that night, so it got down yeah, into the twenties. Like a breeze. Got down into the 20s that night. Yeah, so like, so like. 
we were all in that camper trying to go to sleep. And then like, I think me, Ross and Sean all squeezed in on the little bed. The three of us were like spooning each other for like our body heat. <laughs> and, and then, and then you were out on like the little like bench, like in the hay, like in the, in the living room. And you'd gone in the closet and like gotten like just like a, a big yellow foam like mattress pad, but no, had no sheet or anything wrapped <laughs> up in that day. And then Nate Nate Columbo just like gave up and like got in his car and like started driving towards Columbus or wherever he <laughs> Oh but yeah, I remember that gig. And you know, do you remember we drank a lot that night too? We had a good time. Um do you remember brother Oliver who played after us? Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that saloon room. I'm still friends with those guys. They're from Greenville, South Carolina. And they were know, they were and, a great band, dude. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we met them that night and like, you know, over the years I've still, you know, kept in touch with them. That's so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's such uh, yeah. a small world in that community, man. I mean, you, you know, and the the connections and the I mean, it's great to meet all those people because everybody at one point, you know, was trying to, was trying to grind through it too, you know? So, uh, yeah, such a, such a great thing, but man, that was, and we had many more good nights, uh, you know, gigging those gigs. I mean, it honestly was a lot of fun. We had, we had a stellar gig in, in DC before they, when we played JMU, that was probably the, that was the best. That, that was, was the, the best. That one. was a popping night. That was the best one. We uh we played at Hill Country before we played Virginia Tech at FedEx Field the next day. And like the alumni association tried to have like whatever their thing was and it ended up just getting blown up because we were in town playing at Hill Country Live down in that basement venue and it's like three hundred capacity. The the ceilings are six and a half feet maybe. <laughs> and we uh and and this is again where a booking agent comes in real handy we sold it out but we had agreed to do it for four hundred dollars before you know whatever so at the end of the night that you know the manager's like thanks guys so much and like hand us that four hundred dollar check and then the west virginia fans had sold them out of beer we'd sold out the venue and and you know <laughs> i mean we made we made it as much as like a maybe a bartender as a whole band that night um so that's what that you realized you needed. Year. You needed some. You needed some nil in that moment there, Charles. Yeah. I mean, you weren't. <laughs> I, I, I still didn't realize nothing. I was just like, that was the best night ever. I didn't give a shit. <laughs> we went to the game the next day. Um, but yeah, that was that was a good one, Owen. I remember that one, man. Um, another one that I'll never forget. You remember playing the Peacock Pub down in Pineville, West Virginia? Oh yeah, in the middle of nowhere we with played, like uh, two or three people yeah. there. Yeah, we played uh we played at the Groove in Fayetteville the night before. We stayed in in uh in Beckley and like watched the Mountaineer basketball game at, at BW three and then we went and played Pineville that night, attended to and then like you know, sat at the bar there and hung out for a while after and I actually got a song from that night. I rode here in Eden because of like that one dude that came into the bar after we were done and was like talking what? talking our ear off. Yeah. He was, yeah. I wrote here in Eden because of that that night. But um, oh man, that was a, deep yeah. in depth with that song. Yeah, that was a fun. That was a fun. Uh, those are fun times, man. But 
Well, hell yeah, brother. I appreciate every everything. Thanks for coming on the show. The guys, I mean, can't yeah. thank you enough. Thanks so much, but we we Absolutely. like Charles. We're not we're not we're not saying this just to blow smoke up your butt. Like when we get to the end of every regular season, we kind of have a round table of like, all right, who are some guests? You know, we need some content for the off season. Who are some guests we want to get? And we're running through some. And hey, let's get Blaine Stewart on, and let's get Rashid Marshall on. And hey, can we get you know can we get Pat or Steve on here? And Owen said, hey, what about I bet you I could get Charles Wesley Godwin on here? And we all kind of stopped like, and we're what? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah hell yeah actually yeah, move Wait, him to the top of the list oh, yeah let's get, let's get this done here so yeah seriously. i mean I, hell i can come on anytime for owen owen was one of the first people ever that that would actually book me in a venue um and i remember owen owen was texting me in the fall oh no it was the spring of 2015 and i remember owen texting me and saying man, I think you could go all the way with this thing. He's like, I listen to a lot of people and I think you can actually do this. That was maybe might've been the first person I've ever said anything like that to me. So Owen saw it from, awesome. from the very beginning and was a huge piece of that. Owen gave me, uh, gave me a weekly gig on Monday night football each week. I could play three hours from like six to nine as people would come in and it was wing night and, you know, people would eat wings, watch Monday night football. And I'd just sit up there on a stool and just play songs. I'd write new ones with throughout the week and just throw them out there on those nights and get reps and just getting used to playing in front of people. And that, that, that kind of stuff paid off because I got such a late start. It took all those reps and all those years of, of doing that kind of thing to work out the influences that I had in my voice and get to what my natural voice was and, and writing song, having like being like, I'm going to write a new song before next week. So I have something new for that, you know, for wing night. Sure. And sure. you know, that forces you to just get reps in. And, and you know, I was writing a lot of bad songs, but it, it was getting closer to the good ones. Each one I'd write. So Owen was a big, big piece of all this happening. Owen Schmidt, talent scout. How about that? Owen Schmidt, my man. Right. Dude, I, I mean, I don't know how much Owen talks to you all about, about like Schmidt's, but Owen had incredible talent roll through Schmidt's. It's good stuff. Owen had Owen had Chris Stapleton on the corner stage in 2013. Yeah, that's insane. He hasn't rolled out reopening Schmidt's you know, salute. Yeah. Huh? Well, shit. I, I, Owen, the other side of that is the bar business is a whole fucking uh-huh. mess. And you got to be built for it. And yeah. I, I, I know Owen was absolutely sick of it um, by the end. It was, it, it's just a total it's mess. A tough, it's a tough life for sure. Yeah. It's, it's like, it takes a team of people, first of all, I think. And then and second, you just have to have a passion for it. And I think Owen, correct me if I'm wrong. You got into Schmitz because you, it was really, you were meant to be a, like a silent investor, lend your yeah. name and like kind of go up and just see people and hang out. And it was never meant to be a thing where you ran all three aspects of the business. Yeah. The bar, the food, the The talent, the music and the service and like the, the, you know, the code and and the the cleanliness and just all, you you were never meant to be like the freaking general manager of the whole thing. It (laughs) kind of got left. It got left on your plate to do that for five years. Um, But you did a damn good job of doing it. Well, I was good, a hell, hell of a good, good time, is, man. 
it led to, and it led to this friendship, right? Which, which led us here without a doubt. Um, you know, Charles, thank you so much again. You know, you, mm-hmm. you said, you said anytime, well, how about this? Uh, December 7th, I think, right? Jed is the big 12 championship game in Dallas, Texas. I was, uh, well, I was looking at the 30th. So maybe the sixth, I'd have to get my uh, calendar six, seven. I'm I looking, get to do my calendar. I'm looking at your tour schedule here, Charles. And I see you start in March and you're basically on the road through October. Yeah. If I'm if I'm doing this in my mind, that means you got nothing in December. So when the Mountaineers are getting ready to play for the Big 12 championship that first weekend of December, we'll have you back on the podcast. Sound good? That sounds good to me. Let's <laughs> let's go ahead and put that in the books and then if something like, you know, crazy comes up, I'll let you all Matt, know. If Madison, <laughs> Square, if Madison Square Garden comes up, we'll let you bail. All right? <laughs> yeah. okay. you, how about right. we get him on the charter right. to, to uh, Jerry World with us? How about that? I, I got a feeling they could find a seat. I got yeah. a feeling they could find a seat for Charles Wesley Godwin. Ladies and gentlemen, Charlie's, Charles Wesley Godwin, uh, making us proud. WVU, Morgantown, West Virginia, and beyond. Thank you so much for the time, partner. We really appreciate hey, it. Appreciate it, boys. That was fun. Thanks for having at, me. As we get out of here, as always, the one thing we ask of you is to be an ear and tell an ear about your new favorite WVU football podcast. For Charles Wesley Godwin and the best teammates in the business, the signal caller Jed Drenning, the runaway beer truck Owen Schmidt. I'm Wesley Euler. Take care, everybody. You've been in the gun. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.